trust that you have that assurance of having your sins blotted out. And let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. <coughs> we'll begin there, Isaiah chapter 43. We've been looking at the principle of glory, glorifying God, this being our 50th anniversary. To God be the glory. And um, how can we glorify God here in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 7 we'll read and then we will go to Proverbs chapter 31 and see an illustration of what glory is all about and note there in Isaiah chapter 43 uh, verse 7 it reads even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Now turn with me to Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 to 23. have here a fitting illustration of what glory is all about. Note verse 10. We'll read from verses 10 to 23 and then we will pray. Verse 10 reads, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. She considereth the field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Let's bow for prayer. O oh God, we bless you and we praise you for the assurance of having our sins forgiven in the person 
and work of Jesus Christ. And I pray if there are some present here this evening that lack that assurance, I pray that this will be the moment, the day of their salvation. And Lord God, teach us how we can glorify your name. You've created us for your glory. Oh God, help us to bring glory to your name. We ask and pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. How do we glorify God? Well, we need to affirm in our minds what does it mean to glorify. It's a bit of an, an abstract concept, glory. Not necessarily easy to get your brain around what does it mean to glorify? What does glory mean? What does it mean to glorify? We are called upon to glorify God. We are created for God's glory. So it's important that we have some understanding of what it means to glorify God. What does the word mean? A couple of Wednesday, night, uh, Wednesday nights ago, we uh, did a bit of a uh, study on some of the key words uh, that are translated glory in our Bibles and they give us the principle that to glory means to honour. That's one key factor. When you glory in, then you are showing honour to that individual. So we glorify God by giving him honour. And also the word glory means to shine upon, to 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 shed light upon, that's to glory, to shed light upon. Another key uh, word that helps us to understand glory is the principle of to elevate, to exalt, to lift up above others. Lift, shine, honour and the word magnify, to enlarge. That's another key word translated glory in our Bible. So each of these words help us to have a little bit more of an understanding of what it means to glory. We are to glorify God. We are to honour God. We are to shine the focus upon God, not on ourselves. We are to elevate God. We are to magnify, enlarge God before others. Now, you're probably wondering why on earth have we gone to the trouble to read Proverbs chapter 31? As it reads then, verse 10, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Note the next verse in reference to her husband. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. This virtuous woman was a woman that provided for the needs of her household. And her husband had faith and trust and confidence in his wife. Now note then verse 23, and this is my point. The Bible reads in verse 23, her husband is known in the gates. Her husband 
is known in the gates. We've just read from verses 12 down to verse 23. And then beyond verse 23, there are some further qualities that are spelled out concerning this virtuous woman. It doesn't read that the virtuous woman is known in the gates. Talk to me. No. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Now what does it mean to to be known in the gates? Well, within the biblical setting, a, a city was walled normally and you had a main entrance depending on the size of the city. But you had a main entrance and as you... Uh, it was through that main entrance that you obviously entered and exited the city. And it was quite common to have main offices within the gates. In other words, the administration, the administrative portion of the city was right there as you enter the city. And that makes sense, doesn't it? That's where administration was. That's where council was. That's where the the mayor was. And that's where the leaders sat. And this woman had a husband that was an official, obviously. And the Bible teaches us her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. So here's a virtuous woman wonderful qualities and at the end of the day she's not known her husband is known her husband gets the spotlight her husband is honored her husband is magnified he gets the glory he gets the glory His wife is a virtuous woman, but who gets the glory? He gets the glory. That's womanhood. That's how it should be. A woman is to complete a man. That's what the Bible teaches. And a fitting illustration of glory is evident here that this woman had such wonderful qualities And for some of you ladies, you're probably thinking to yourself, supernatural qualities. (laughs) And yet she is not known in the gates. He is known in the gates. Because of her godliness, this had a part in her husband being known, honoured, elevated, enlarged in the gates. And this is a wonderful illustration concerning the fact that you and I are to bring glory to God. And all of our qualities should point the focus upon our God. This woman was a virtuous woman. She was a godly woman and we're certainly not taking away from that fact but her qualities at the end of the day did not lead to her being 
known in the gates. Her husband was known in the gates. This is not the womanhood philosophy of today. Far from it. Far, far from it. Womanhood, according to the scriptures, is the desire to complete and to bring glory to her husband. That's the biblical passage. And as I was reading through this wonderful um, description of this wonderful woman, at the end of the day, her husband is known in the gates. Wonderful little illustration of what it means to bring glory to God. But our qualities, at the end of the day, should in turn lead others to our God and glorifying our God. Where He is honoured, the limelight's upon Him. He is exalted. He is magnified. Her husband is known in the gates. doesn't read the virtuous woman is known in the gates. And you and I are probably thinking, well, she's worth knowing. Yes, she is. Because she certainly knew her place. And her concern was to provide for the needs of her family, her children, her husband. And at the end of the day, her husband is known in the gates. That's glory. And that's what you and I are to strive towards. We need to have God's glory in view. And that's where we began last week. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you and I are to glorify God, we need to have God's glory in view. No doubt the virtuous woman had the glory of her husband in view in providing the needs of her family we see here in 1 Corinthians 10 31 whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do do all to the glory of God and last Sunday evening we stressed the fact that if you and I are to glorify God we need to have God's glory in view, not our own glory, but God's glory in view. In all that we do, we need to be considering and be mindful and be prayerful and working towards God receiving the glory. And then it was from that basis we talked about rejoicing in our salvation. That brings glory to God, Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Now, how can that possibly bring glory to God? Well, salvation is of God. 
the Bible teaches us. And as we rejoice in our salvation, God is glorified because we are rejoicing in the salvation that he has provided. And also we noted in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we glorify God with moral integrity and moral purity. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we are to glorify God in our bodies. And the whole context we stressed the other week there in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, 5, 7, it's all there as clear as day. The, the central thought deals with the issue of moral integrity, being pure and holy. And why on earth will that glorify God? Well, God is holy. And doesn't the Bible teach us, be holy for I am holy? So that's going to bring glory to God. That makes sense, doesn't it? You and I rejoicing in our salvation brings glory to God. You and I taking seriously the charge to be pure and holy and clean, that brings glory to God because God is holy. God is holy. We must have God's glory in view. Turn with me please to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's note a further principle on how we can glorify God. It begins with you and I having God's glory in view. My goal is to glorify God. That's where we begin. We glorify God by rejoicing in our salvation. We glorify God by seeking to live clean and pure because God is holy. But note here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 reads, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Of glory. Now the context of chapter 4 goes back to chapter 3. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because look at chapter 4, verse 1. Look at this. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. Okay, he's continuing on, coming to a conclusion. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. So the context of chapter 4 goes back to chapter 3. Now look at verse number 7. From verse number 7, we are introduced to the ministry of glory, what is referred to as the ministry of glory, which is to unveil Jesus Christ to the world. Look at verse, um, from verse 7, for the sake of time, look at verse number 9, for if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. And from then on, the Apostle Paul goes on and talks about the unveiling of Jesus Christ and the fact that Israel as a whole is blinded to the fact that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Look at verses 13 to 16, please, of chapter 3. Verse 13, And not as Moses which put a veil over his face, 
that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is done away in? Christ. In Christ. He is the ministry of glory. In Christ. Verse 15. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall Turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Then the apostle acknowledges the work of the Spirit in unveiling Jesus Christ to those that are spiritually blind. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. This is in reference to the unveiling of Christ seeing Christ within the pages of the Old Testament, that he is the promised Messiah, this ministry of glory, unveiling Christ. And then verse number 18 of chapter 3, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, what? The glory of the Lord. This is in reference to Jesus Christ are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So with Jesus Christ seen and focused upon in the Scriptures, accepted as the Messiah, the Saviour of the world, we are changed into His image. He is the glory of the Lord. And we are changed into His image from glory to glory in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because verse 17, back in chapter 3, talks about the work of the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We are changed from glory to glory in Christ. And then we jump to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. What ministry? To unveil Christ to share Christ. We faint not. As we have received mercy, verse 1, we faint not. This is our ministry, beloved, to unveil the glory of Jesus Christ within the Scriptures. To unveil the glory of Jesus Christ within the Scriptures. When the Apostle Paul was converted, he began to preach that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. He wasted no time preaching that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He understood his charge, which was to unveil the glory of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. We have this ministry. We've received mercy, verse 1. We've received salvation, therefore we faint not. And in receiving mercy, salvation, in having seen the Lord of glory, we have a responsibility to fill. We have a calling. And we need to guard against fainting in the process. That's why it reads at the end of verse 1 in chapter 4. 
chapter 4, verse 1, we faint not. We can't afford to faint. And then from verses 2 down to verse number 7 of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul focuses upon the fact that there is an enemy at work, but yet we have this treasure in our bodies, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Note verse 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, there's that wonderful word, glory, once again, the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God to shine, shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, verse 5, but Christ Jesus the Lord, ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine over the darkness, have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What's that treasure? Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And then from verse 8, the Apostle Paul talks about his struggles. Look at verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. So the Apostle Paul shares the reality of struggles. That's why he's charging you and I to receive this ministry. We've got this treasure in earthen vessels. We can't afford to faint because people are in blindness. We have the gospel of hope, the power of God unto salvation. And yet we're troubled on every side. So he talks about his struggles. And then he comes to a spiritual conclusion there in verse 15. Look at verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound or amount to, to what? Let's say it together. The glory of God. For which cause we faint not, 
But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Note verse 17. For our, let's say it together, light affliction. Which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but for the things which are not seen, they are what? Eternal. So the Apostle Paul draws a conclusion and he gives us the reason why you and I cannot faint. Because we have the ministry of glory. We have a responsibility to share Christ with those in need. People need a saviour, beloved. People need to be saved from sin. People are on their way to hell. And without Christ, there is no hope. The hope of salvation is found in the glory of Jesus Christ. And we have this glory in earthen vessels and we have a responsibility to share that glory with others. So therefore the Apostle Paul said, we faint not. Now let me encourage you this evening, beloved, we can bring glory to God by keeping on, keeping on. By refusing to faint, refusing to quit. It's God's grace that will sustain us. His grace is infused into our lives when our personal walk with God is regular. Note then verse 16, renewed day by day. God will provide grace for you and I to endure. But it's also important, according to verse 17, that we have a right attitude. Note the wording, light affliction. Light affliction? Light affliction? This is the Apostle Paul, light affliction? He sums up what he has experienced as light affliction, but for a moment, that's the right attitude. And then verse 18, he has a heavenly focus. We are reminded of the fact that the Apostle Paul focused upon that which is not seen. That's eternal. That which is seen is temporal. My point is simply this, beloved. We can glorify God. We can honor God shed light upon our God elevate our God magnify our God by enduring by enduring we've received this ministry as we have received mercy we faint not. I'm so thankful that the Lord Jesus endured. Note there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2, 
we are reminded of the fact that our Lord Jesus, in dealing with our sin, He endured. Note the wording here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We are encouraged to look unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame, belittled the shame, thought little, non-event, belittled, despising the shame. And he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. Beloved, you and I can glorify God by simply enduring. Keeping on, keeping on. Don't quit. Don't quit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The glory of God. And Christ needs to be unveiled to the world that's being blinded by Satan. The God of this world is blinding the eyes of those that believe not and the gospel has the power to break through. Let's endure. Endurance glorifies God. Let's look at one more this evening. The book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 1. In First and Second Peter, there is much said about suffering. First and Second Peter are general epistles written to Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor. Suffering, persecution, for their faith, as Bible-believing Christians. And Peter writes these two letters to encourage these believers that are paying a price in standing for Jesus Christ. Here in 1 Peter chapter 1, he assures them of their eternal security in the midst of persecution. Note there in verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last days. And then Paul reminds them that their times of testings are valuable and precious. Note there in verse 7 that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise, honour and, let's say it together, glory. There's that wonderful word again. Glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, 
whom having not seen ye love, whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Glory to God. So Peter reminds them that their time of testing is precious because in and through their suffering, God can be glorified. And with a deep love for Christ, he encourages these believers to endure. And if they endure suffering, God will be praised. God will be honored. And God will be glorified, verse 7. In chapter 2, he focuses upon the suffering of Christ and he reminds these believers that Jesus Christ also suffered. Note there in chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. Verse 21 reads, Who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing that ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Talks about being born again by the Word of God. And then go to chapter 4, go to chapter 4, please. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 19 but for the sake of time look at verse 16 yet if any man suffer as a Christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God let's say it together on this behalf did you get it? you got it? that's worth underlining on this behalf on what behalf? Glorify God on this behalf. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Ashamed of what? Suffering as a Christian. But let him glorify God on this behalf. Beloved, we can glorify God by a willingness to live for Christ and to suffer for his sake. That's what he's saying in essence. In our sufferings, we can bring glory to God by enduring. We glorify God by suffering for Christ in living out the Christian life. We can also bring glory to God. Go to chapter 5. Note then verse 1, he writes, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and note a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now go to verse 10 and 11, please. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto 
his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that, you have suffered a while. Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And note verse 11. To him be, let's say it together, glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God's grace will be sufficient as we endure suffering for Christ. And the end result will be God will be glorified. The Bible is very clear. And the Apostle Peter makes it very, very clear that those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Go to Romans chapter 8. I'll close with this. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verses 16 to 18. Romans 8, 16 reads, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If you are a genuine Christian, you will have the witness of God's Spirit. The witness of God's Spirit will be evident. It will be evident in your life. Verse 17, and of Christ, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Look at verse 18. For I reckon, that's a good Aussie word. I reckon. What does that mean? I count upon. I reckon. I rest upon. The guarantee is there. I reckon. We don't use it correctly. We say it to convey our opinion. I reckon. No, no, no. Biblically, it's a, a definite word. It's a, a guarantee. I reckon, said the Apostle Paul, he's not saying I, I think maybe, the Apostle Paul is saying, I can assure you, I reckon, look at this, verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared, let's read it together, the rest of the verse, with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Glory to God. Glory to God. There it is. The suffering that I'm enduring on this side of eternity. The Apostle Paul said, I reckon that this will, I have the assurance that this will lead to greater glory in the future.
in our sufferings, we can glorify Him. And if you and I choose to live for Christ in 2024, this our jubilee year, unashamedly, stand for Christ, proclaim Christ, serve Christ, we will suffer persecution. Christianity is not popular today. I think that's fairly obvious. Though we are a Christian nation, to declare thus saith the Lord is not popular. So you and I more so need to unashamedly declare our faith with others. Because the gospel is the only power of God unto salvation. But be warned, you will suffer persecution. If you openly declare that you are a Christian, you'll cop some flack. Somebody won't like you. You'll have to be prepared to suffer for Christ. And if you and I are prepared to suffer for Christ, then He will be glorified. We've been created in the image of God to bring glory to God. And God tells us within His Word that purity in the life of the believer glorifies God. To rejoice in our salvation glorifies God. To endure glorifies God. And to be willing to suffer for Christ glorifies God. To God be the glory. Let's bow for prayer.